This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So I entitled the sermon, Can You See? Knowing my place in the kingdom. And as I was saying, it's a journey that I've been walking. And um, I'm going to try and give about seven sermons in one. Is that all right? Okay, so there's going to be a lot happening. Now, for a lot of you, this is not going to make too much sense. But I'm trusting that this is more prophetic word than a natural word. But we're going to take out a lot out of this sermon. So when I ask the Lord for a word for this year, what is this year about? You know, we as pastors, we always ask God, what's this year about? And the Lord said to me, it is the season of placement. It is the season of placement. Where God wants to put us in the right position. If you've noticed spiritually, it's the changing of the gods. Has anyone noticed that? Many amazing men and women of faith have passed on the gauntlet. If we look at Billy Graham, that's gone to be with our Heavenly Father. Reinhard Bonker, that's handed off out his gauntlet. Handed it off to someone else. Daniel Carizan. And then, Bill Heibel. I know there's a bit of controversy there, for those of you who know who he is. But still a man that's done incredible things for the bride of Christ. A changing of the season, bringing placement. I'll get to, to the scriptures just now. I'm going to quickly do the scripture and then we're going to climb in because this is the foundation that I'm building on. So I'm sorry that we don't have enough time for the foundation, but hopefully you can stick with me. This is also the season for our country, for placement. We've got a new president. This is also a season of placement for Shafa Christian Church as our leadership has changed. And as we cross over, I'm hoping the word that I'm going to bring is going to be able to bring a little bit of clarity on the way that we do the placement, the way we do this transition. Are you with me this morning? We had great teaching this week as pastors. And one of the things that the guy said was the same guy that came last year at at Convergence, um, John Andrews. And he spoke about a bus, right? So we know that the bus is going somewhere. That's your vision. The bus. We're all on this bus and we're going somewhere. But how are we on the bus? What is our ethics on the bus? Our values? And this morning we're going to speak a little bit about about getting there is not one, one thing, but how we get there. All right. You all look incredibly wise and knowing what's going on. So the placement we're speaking about is a placement of accountability, a place, placement in friendships, a placement in discipleship, a placement in community, and a placement in God. Those are the different type of placements. All right, moving over to Sermon 4. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. God's heart for us as the bride of Christ is the same as the heart for Adam. 
And then in Deuteronomy, see, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to you, given, give to your fathers, given to your father, Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. There's a promise for each one of us sitting here in this room this morning. God has a promise for each one of us individually. God has a promise for us corporately, community. God's got a promise for this town. And God's got a promise for this nation. Amen? If there's no promise, we're in trouble. But there's a promise. Now, for some of us, we know that promise. God said to me when I was about six years old that I was going to be a pastor. It's one of the promises of my life. For some of us, it's promises that's come across our lives, right? God doesn't speak once and that's it. There's different promises. God's got a promise for your company. God's got a promise for your family. God gives us promises. Not all of us hear the promises or have the promises, And this morning, we're going to delve into that part of it, the promise that God has for you, so that you might know the place that you have in the kingdom of God. Excited? Five people's excited. For the rest of you, please buckle in. This is going to be a bumpy ride. We're going to be looking at the story of Gideon this morning. I've got like 14 people that I want to quote, but let's try and just get through maybe three of them. So we're going to look at Gideon as a perfect example. So we find Gideon in a time of hardship. At least, at last, the people of Israel came into the promised land, but they did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? So they were worshipping um, Baal. And um, not only were they worshipping Baal, but because of their sins, God is punishing them. So for seven years, the Midianites swept over their land every year. I'm just giving you the rundown of what's happening. Just as the time of harvest, and carried away all the crops... Okay, so you've been working all day and sweating away, and yes, someone comes and grabs your land. Ooh, (laughs) quiet in the house of the Lord. And they take the food and they take the land. Not only that, but they bring their own sheep, their own goats, their own cattle, and then they graze the ground. So what you did in those times is the Israelites were hiding in caves. You lived in a cave. And if you were lucky and you got something off the land, you'd go and hide. And you'd try and sift the wheat and try and get the food out that no one would notice. And this is where we find God meeting Gideon. So one day a man called Gideon was threshing out the wheat in a hidden place. When he saw the angel sitting under the oak tree, the angel said to him, You are a brave man, Gideon, and the Lord is with you. Go out boldly and save your people from the power of the Midianites. Gideon answered the angel, Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? Mine is a poor family, and typically like a good Christian, he moans. Not me, Lord, right? You see, we always want a promise until God gives you the promise. Then you change your mind. 
Because all you want to know, all that you want is God to be part of your life. You just want to know that you're important to God. That's all you want. All we want is actually a tap on the back and Jesus to say, you're good. Until God gives you the promise, and then, then, then we go, then we go into major negotiations. Okay, Lord, this is going to cost you a Ferrari, a helicopter, and a mansion. Now we can talk. All right, and that don't work, does it? Because I don't have a Ferrari, nor a helicopter, and I live in a flat <laughs> in Cape Town. So we don't have no mansion. All right. Then the Lord told Gideon that before setting the people free from the Midianites, he first has to take on a little bit of a problem of Baal worship. So Gideon takes 10 friends and they go and chop down these idols. Okay? So they chop down these idols and the next morning the people want to kill him for doing the right thing. Doesn't that sound sometimes like work? Right? You do the right thing. You're accountant. Dit klop. Praise the year. And then you get called in. Because we need to do a little bit of creative accounting. Okay? So listen to this. So these guys come in. You know what? Gideon had a wise father. So this is what he says. If Baal is a god... He can take care of himself. Then punish the man who destroys his image. Why should you help Baal? Let Baal help himself. Let that creative counting help itself. So nothing happens. And then they go, okay, well then, maybe this is the living God. Amen. So this is where Gideon sends out the messengers. And he calls all the people of Israel together. Because now they're going to take on the Midianites. Okay. You guys remember there's somewhere in scripture, there's the so-called fleece. Okay, it comes with this story. If you don't know. Okay. Because I know we all quote the fleece thing. God spoke. Just need to check. All right, Lord, if there's a Ferrari, a helicopter, and a mansion, then I know it's you. And the mansion must have red doors. Then I know it's God. That's often how we negotiate with God. And we are going to skip that part. And we're going to read from the scripture because I know you all love scripture. Can I ask that as we read the scripture, can you keep your eye out for two things? Fear and pride. So just go, where's the fear, where's the pride? And we're reading from Judges 7. And I'm going to be skipping some scriptures just to get through it. That's all right, but please go home and read it as homework. So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harod. The armies of Gideon were camped to the north. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of them, I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast, intent nudge nudge, to me that they've saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore tell the people whoever is afraid that he may go home. Okay. 
The Israelites had no weapons at that stage, and they were not ready. Scripture says they were not ready for war. They had very few weapons. So first of all, to think of an army of, 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 this, of this massive army, remember that they were not as advanced as the Midianites. And then 22,000 people go home. That's us times a lot. All right. <laughs> Leaving only 10,000 willing to fight. That's us times a little less, but still a lot. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Then Gideon took his warriors down to the water. The Lord told them, divide the men into two groups. I don't know how he did this logistically, but he did this. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it like, and lap it with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Okay. So the answer that you've all been wondering for many, many years, if you're my age, God let the dogs out. <laughs> I see people whispering to the person next to him. Yes, it's a song, Who Let the Dogs Out? Don't listen to it, it's rubbish. Okay. <laughs> I need to hurry. Only three of the three hundred of the men who drank on their knees. So God chose the three hundred. So God says to to him, "All right, you take your three hundred, and I'm going to give you this this victory." And it actually says in that next scripture, um, "I will rescue you." You see, who rescues them? God, because God is the God of the promise. God has promised them this land. They can't take this land because of the Midianites. And God says, I have promised this land. This is my promise to you. I will fulfill this and I'm going to give it to you and I will rescue you. So take the 300. So this is where he takes the 300. The Midianites camp was in the valley, just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down to the camp, for I will give you victory over them. But if you are afraid, to attack, go down to the camp with the servant, with your servant, listen to what the Midianites are saying, you will be greatly encouraged, then you'll be eager to attack. And so he does this right, and they attack, and we know the story. They slaughter the whole army. The army is one of the, it just turns, they start killing each other, it's crazy, and then they start fleeing, and Gideon and the guys follow them, and they slaughter the whole army. Everyone. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, okay, so 300, that's probably about, maybe about what we are this morning, maybe a bit, bit more, a bit less, not sure exact numbers, but 300 people. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler. You and your sons and your grandson will be our ruler. 
for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. And then I'm taking out scripture because we're getting back to it. Do not move to the next slide, please. That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's life, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Okay. Does this sound like a good leader? We in South Africa, people, I'm sure we sure we know what bad leadership is. Can I ask again? Does this sound like a good leader? Okay. So he's destroyed the high places of Baal. He's destroyed the Midianites. He's turned the people from Baal back to Yahweh, God. There's 40 years of peace. Of all the 15 men who ruled as judges of Israel, Gideon, the fifth judge, was the greatest He was the best encourager. He was the greatest in encouragement, in wisdom, and in fighting God. Is he a good leader? He's an incredible leader. However, we can go to that next scripture that we were missing. So they've asked him to rule, and he says, However, I do have one request. That each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from the fallen enemies. Gladly they replied. They spread out a cloak and each one threw the gold earring. And they gathered the plunder. And out of this, he created a golden epod. And this golden epod. Go home and ask Siri what is an epod. We don't have time. So Gideon gave the, 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 or put the golden epod with Oprah. <laughs> Even Oprah's in the Bible joke. In Oprah, his hometown. But all, but, uh, um, but soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping, worshiping it, and it became a trap for Gideon. And his family. What happened there? What happened there? Pride stepped into the heart of Gideon. Guys, let me remind you what God did for us when we were 300. Come into my home. Remember, the epod is for us to remember. Pride stepped into the heart of Gideon. See, when Gideon died, Israel turned immediately back to Baal. So was he a good leader? Yes? No. Because he had no godly legacy. Great leader while he was there, but when he left, not so good. Oh, we don't have time. I'm just going to talk through this. 
Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. He was a king of the God's heart. And Nebuchadnezzar, as we see in Daniel, you can, you can go through the scriptures. As we see in Daniel, what Nebuchadnezzar does is he has this moment where he says to, to, to Daniel, Daniel, your God is the real God. He's the true God, Daniel 4. But in that same chapter, starting from, from verse 28, see, he had first a dream, and in the dream, he brought fear. It was the dream of the tree that got cut down. In that same chapter, don't you love the way that scripture can make your life in a chapter? It says 12 months later, so a year later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked across the city, he said, look, this great city of Babylon, my own. After he gives this amazing part of how he worships and glories God, but now he's saying, it's mine. Look at this great city. By my own mighty power. I have built this beautiful city. I have built this beautiful company. I have built this beautiful family. By my power. I built this beautiful garden. This beautiful house. A.K.A. flat. And after this time had passed, so now what happens is, so God strikes him mad. The power and the glory that we seek drives us mad when we forget who gives us the promise. It drives us mad. And the beautiful thing is that God brings back his sanity so that he might be humbled. I'm sorry I'm skipping through that, but for the sake of time. Can you see? A lot of people ask me, what's happening spiritually? What's going on? What's the prophetic word for the season? So part of it is God wants to place us. But for us to be placed, we need to know where God wants to place us and why God wants to place us. See, some of us have returned to our idols. We've returned to Baal. Some of us are taking the glory. We've built a holy epod. Some of us are literally just stealing from God. And many of us have forgotten how broken we were before we met Christ. He that's forgiven much, loves much. We forgot what we've been forgiven. Therefore, we love little. It's okay. There's good news. But not yet. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had instructed, the father of your faith, and Lot went with him. Abraham was old. Ish. <laughs> the older I get, the younger I see it is. So he still had a long life. So, um, so he took his wife and his, um, and his nephew Lot, and all the wealth, his livestock and people, took his whole household. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As Abram left Egypt and traveled north, 
along with his life and lot and all that they owned, Abraham was now very rich. So God prospers because God has given Abraham a promise. He said to him, I will give you nations. I will give you children that you cannot count. I'm going to bless you. And he's being prospered. The only problem is there's a little bit of a, a famine, so they have to go down south. And they are prospered in Egypt as a foreigner. That does not make sense. That's like you going to a foreign country that's at war, like a Burundi, and God prospering you. Okay, Egypt at that stage did not like foreigners. Burundi, bad example. I don't want to give, I'm going to get myself into trouble. Let's just move on. It's like going to Russia. <laughs> okay. This I over all the grapies mark, what you scree, die old gepreek. All right, verse 5. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds and cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both of them. Both Abram and Lot. With all their livestock and herds living so close together, so dispute broke out between the herdsmen. Okay. Listen carefully. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are family. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we will separate. If you go north, I go south. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. That's a humble man. That's the man with the promise. And what does Lot do with this? Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley. Why did Lot look at that? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. So he looked at it because it seemed the same as it was in Egypt. See, Lot did not get the promise from God. So Lot thought, man, I am blessed. I'm being prospered. It's my prosperity. It's mine. So I'm going to go over there because it looks the same of where I come from because that's how I got blessed. He didn't realize it was about God. And after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in any, every direction, north, south, east, west. I, I, God, am giving all this land to you as far as you can see for you and your descendants. Go, walk through the land in every direction for I'm giving it to you. Lot ended up living in a cave with his two daughters. He lost everything. Listen carefully now. He lost everything.
the promise of Abraham in the end killed Lot. Nearly killed Lot. It took everything from him. Because he did not recognize the promise on Abraham's life. See, when Lot saw, saw the Jordan Valley, pride stepped into his heart. And he led all his men to death. All those herdsmen died. Was it the smartest ad? What a lot I got. He didn't have a lot. He ended up with nothing. Okay. Where am I going with this? Thanks for asking. So let's look at Jesus. And Jesus has this peculiar moment, which he normally does. Jesus was for sure the orchid cousin. Let me tell you, Jesus offends. And if you've not been offended by Jesus, you've not met possibly Jesus yet. Because we are sinful and he's not. He's perfect. But we don't like his perfection the way he does things perfectly. So listen to this. So Jesus is observing. He does a lot of observing. And he says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table... He gave them this advice. When are you invited to a a wedding feast? Don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed. And you have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. We're speaking about placement. Where is God placing us? We need to know in this time in South Africa where God is placing us. We need to know the church of Jesus Christ in this nation where God's placing us. Have you noticed the, quiet, the church has never been in South Africa, it's never been more quiet than it is right now? We don't know what we, what, we, what we stand for anymore. So things are happening all over the show and we're just quiet because we don't know anymore what is the promise. Because God promises healthy families and anything that isn't healthy is not of God because God promises healthy families. That's what he wants. And he's not calling us to preach it from a pulpit. You must have a healthy family. God's given us the ability to minister. But when we're near by our neighbor and we hear them screaming at other, not my problem, I'm not getting involved. Someone gets murdered down the street, not my problem. 
I'll send them a rose. We are pathetic. Because as long as I've got my promise, white picket fence, helicopter. For some of you, your helicopter is a Taz. And you laugh, but that is your problem. That's what you want. That's what you seek. You happy about your Taz? Christ speaking directly here. There's a strange scripture when it comes to Elijah. What happened with Elijah? Can anyone ever work that out? One of the greatest men that's ever lived, according to the prophets. I mean, this guy had party tricks like you can't imagine. Okay? Western Cape, dry. Western Cape, wet. Boom. Rain. Done. Okay? He didn't even call the thousands to Mitchell's Plain or, or hundreds, all his prayer, little WhatsApps. They didn't have that. One man. One drought, one prayer, something like seven times, rain. So why did God take away the promise on his life? What happened? What happened in his life? He had pride. How do you get that? Where in the scripture does it say that? I don't read pride. I'll tell you where it says this. He has this conversation with himself and God. And he says the following. Let me just make sure I quote this right. I don't have it there. Yes. I am no greater than my forefathers. Who says that? I am no greater than my dad. Who says that? You see, before Elijah, there was no one that had done miracles like this. No one's raised the dead. Before him. No one's, no one's made drought stop. No one's done the miracles he's done. So because of these miracles, he thought he was greater than his dad's, his forefathers. Pride stepped in. What happened to Lot? Pride steps in. Fear and pride. So Isaac Newton says, if I've seen a little further, it is, be, but, uh, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Okay, but that's not Christian. Okay, thank you. Secular question. Thank you for saying that. This is an adaptation of the 12th century theologian. Okay, so when Isaac Newton wrote this, he wrote this in 1676 to his, adver- uh, to, to his rival. Robert Hooke. Didn't like the guy. Brought him a bit of correction. But it's an adaptation of the 12th century theologian, John of Salisbury, of Salisbury, written in Latin in 1159. We are like dwarves sitting on the shoulders of giants. Do you know why I'm here today? Do you know why I'm able to stand in this pulpit and then I'm not passed out? In some bar, from drinking too much last night. Because of my family, because of my church, because of my friends. That's why I'm here today. Because when I got backslidden and I did that good, I caught up. Okay, I, was, I was kind of one of those born saved guys. And then I got very unsaved. 
and are caught up. My family prayed for me. This church is the one that got me sobered up. Pastor Sias here. Sias did the altar call when my brother got saved in this church. Eugene. We we, we kind of walked a weird road together. We were still working out our salvation at certain points. (laughs) Maybe we weren't too good for each other. But... But our friendship group brought us in and they just said, no matter what, we believe in you. That's why I'm here today. By no greatness of myself am I standing before you this morning. And therefore, by no greatness of yourself are you standing before me or sitting. We need to remember That the reason we're doing great things is because someone did it before us. The reason we're having great worship is because someone set up the chairs and the music. Someone organized the time that we come together. Someone took the time out to prepare a sermon. Someone practiced all week worship so we can worship together. We don't have a lotto system. Ching, 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 ching. Song one, song two, song three. The band just doesn't come and rock up. They practiced all week. They were early here this morning. They practiced so that we can experience worship together. Yet we go home and go, mm, mm, songs weren't so good. Mm, didn't feel this guy. He must my rather stay in Cape Town. Drink his holy coffee. If I've done anything great. Because I stand on the shoulders of giants. I didn't build this church. I didn't build Shofar. But I will steward the part that God gives me. See, what is our challenge of today? See, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the hearts, test the mind. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, this is my scripture for the year, there will be disorder and every evil practice. If you're selfish, every evil will will, will be ministering. That's sobering. Please take this into your work. Please take this into your family. Where are we going on holiday? Hmm. With selfish ambition. Yo. Druh. Promises in your life may unlock unhealthy desires and ambition. The promises of God might bring unhealthy desires. I want to quote my brother. Not a lot of people get to do that. And this has been milling through my, through my mind. Can we go to the next slide? And he said the following.
there is great danger when we seek great change in the world, but not great change within ourselves. If you have anything to say about this country, dear ladies and gentlemen, seek change in your own life first. Amen? Dear ladies and gentlemen, if you have something to say about the church, and you seek change in the church, might I ask, if you want your wife to change, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> holy cow, slaughtering every holy cow in this room today. The only way I can change my beautiful wife, Matty, is by changing myself. It's the only change I'm going to get. Because you can't beat perfection. No, 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 no. I don't mean that patronizingly. Scripture says she's perfect. She's made wonderfully. She's perfectly made. Get with the program. So it wasn't an awe moment. It's more a self-exposing moment. But it is an awe. Focus, focus. (laughs) So a few weeks ago, we prophesied in Cape Town. We had an amazing, so every, once every two months, we have a prophetic night in Cape Town. And we just, no, no, no sermon. We just pray and we worship. That's it for a whole service. And um, God reminded us of the promise for South Africa. One of the promises of South Africa, you know the bread box could promise it all quote, but one of the promises of South Africa is that we call to be a city of refuge. That's a promise of God for this nation. If you don't know that, you're in trouble. If you don't know that, you're seriously in trouble. Because what that means is a refuge is going to go past you and you're not going to recognize God. So prophesied, um, as, we, as we were doing this, this praise and worship night, I was prophesying that God is calling the refugees back to Cape Town. Sticking with this quote. Two, was it two Sundays? Two Sundays later. Forty Burundians are now part of our church. Two Sundays later. Can we have woohoo? Amen. Okay, if you don't know anything about Burundi, sorry, Google, find out about Burundi. They're here on asylum. It's a crazy country. It's just underneath Rwanda. It's worse than Rwanda. You know Rwanda? You're in Africa, people. You need to know our continent. But it's crazy what's happening there. So God gives us the refugees. And now it's a problem. Can I tell you that having 40 Burundians who can't speak English, is a problem. Like five of them speak English. Because now they're in the church. And, and, and so we've got this Burundian pastor in, in Burundi. We've started churches in Burundi, Shafa churches, if you don't know yet. Long story short, this pastor is the most great evangelist. He grew our church with 40 people without ever being in the church. That's an evangelist. So certain people from his, of his churches flee, um, fled, they ended up in Cape Town. You heard about this. He came down. He came and spoke to them. And he said, this is your church. Now we have a problem. Because we don't worship like Burundians. 
We don't preach like Burundians. We don't speak Burundian. I don't know what language I speak, but it's not anything I understand when I speak. It's a challenge when God gives you the promise because change has to happen. We're going to have to change the way we do services. We're going to have to change the way that we do worship. I can't make the promise of God fit me. I cannot manipulate God's plan. So while we're trying to work it out, we've started a third service on on Sunday, a translation service. Just so we can understand how they do church. And praise God, like Africans, they all can play instruments. Like all of them. And the four, they can't sing. So they're all like, we've got a band. (laughs) So later this morning, it's happening in Cape Town, African Vibes, Shofar. You won't understand anything, but you will be blessed. You will recognize that you can't dance, that's for sure. The first thing, so the first time we have service, the guy comes, the, the leader of the pack comes, and he says, oh, I've got a bit of a list. Do you guys, and one of the things, do you guys not dance? Well, why don't you dance in services? Like, what, did you not see us? What, did you miss it? <laughs> and I realized, yes, <laughs> apparently they did. Because <laughs> that ain't dancing. Okay, we don't dance. Good problems to have. Right. So let's get to, time's flying, let's get to the crux. Is there any encouragement any comfort of the love of Christ? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Be humble. Thinking of those as better than yourself. Don't look only for your own interests. But take an interest in others too. Paul writing to the letter, writing the letter, to the Philippians. So the Philippians are having the same problems that we see in church today. Same pride, same fears, all these things happening. And he said, okay guys, come on now. The opposite to deal with the fears that minister in our lives because we've got fear in our nation. It's rooted inside of us. It really is. And we've got pride and arrogance. It's rooted inside of us. And Paul writes, guys, be unified and be in humility. Come on, man. Make that guy important. Make that guy that's serving you that cup of coffee important. Make that car guard. Ooh, Aina, important. No, he did not save your car. Yes, 15 people could have scratched your car. 33 people could have driven off with it. But give him human dignity. Greet him. Ask his name. Build a relationship. Because most of them are foreigners. Refugees. 
That's the promise that God's given you, whether you want it or whether you don't. See, the church of Philippines were divided. Oh, Philippians were divided. Focus. Okay, so you guys saw that we've got a pastor, those of you who don't know, in the Philippines. Survivor, the new series. Banner, he's a chauffeur pastor. Okay, we hope he behaves throughout the whole. He's done very well to this point because Varys is my Dodge Varys. Love you. <laughs> so we might be a million rand richer as a church if he wins. Okay, so we can all like tithe and blessings. Come on, Varys, bring, bring home the bacon. Okay, I need to wrap up. The rest of that scripture speaks about how Christ humbled himself. He made himself a servant of man. And if Christ makes himself a servant of man, should we not do the same? Do you treat the barista like you, his servant? The measurement. How do you measure? That's how you measure. Do I see this guy more important than myself? That's what Christ did. Okay. So there's a scripture in Proverbs that says, ask not for poverty, or ask not for riches, nor poverty, ask for your allotted portion. God has an allotted portion for each one of us. In other words, if there's one pie, everybody gets a piece of pie. Back to Oprah Winfrey. God just went over most of your heads. Piece of pie. Everyone gets a piece. Your allotted portion. Do not steal or take your brother's allotted portion. Can you see? And in closing, God is calling us to rebuild the walls of Nehemiah. It's something that Pastor Heinrich has been preaching on. And the secret about building the walls is you must build the wall in front of your house. Where's your house? Your spiritual house. Where's that promise? What is the promise that God has for you? Take that promise, the lotted portion, and build the wall in front of it. And you'll find in my walls here, Eugene's walls here, Sias's wall is here, Pity, Bobby, Sucky, Nige, George, Patricia. Our walls will make one wall. And the enemy will not be able to come in. Because I've got my allotted portion. Because I'm taking only what God has given me. Nothing more, but nothing less. Listen, yes, people here that you're giving up because people are stealing from you. That's sin. If God said it's yours, it's yours. Wait for the timing. Wait for the timing. I'm not now saying tomorrow morning, kick in your boss's door, okay? Wisdom. Seek wisdom. But take the promises God has held over your life and say, Lord, you said. But please make sure it is a promise of God. Go check with your brothers and sisters. Because there's a lot of promises that people talk to me about. I'm going, ooh, hallelujah, I'm not so sure. Doesn't taste of God, doesn't smell of God, doesn't sound like God. So therefore, probably not God. Sounds nice. Very nice. But it doesn't sound God. 
So, in closing, can you see? This is the season of placement. Take your place. Be wary not to take others' places. Trust God for your promise. Look only for your allotted portion. Build a wall in front of your house. Do not think you are the cause of your promise, like Lot. Do not return to your old ways, like Israel. Seek the promise giver. Seek God, not the promises. Promise is a byproduct. So if we're only seeking for the promise, we're not seeking the one who gave it, the heart of God. And to do that, we seek humility. And we seek unity. South Africa, as diverse as we are, will stand in unity or shatter in segments. It's biblical. Can we stand together this morning?
Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.